0: This is a Federal News Network podcast.
1: Each year, the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission hosts a training conference for HR and EEO practitioners in both government and industry. The topic, conflicts in employment laws. With what's on the top of the agenda in the ongoing efforts to stop unlawful discrimination, we turn to the EEOC's Director of Federal Sector Programs, Dexter Brooks. Mr. Brooks, good to have you on.
2: Good to be here, Tom. Always a pleasure.
1: And this idea of preventing workplace discrimination in both the federal workplace and I guess every workplace, including the industrial sector, is kind of a moving target. The laws change and the issues that come up change. And given the kind of national discussion the country has been having in the past year or so, what are you seeing as the big issues for EEO practitioners, mainly in the federal government, but nationwide?
2: I think your point is well-placed, that it's ever-moving. So we constantly are working with folks that work in this space to understand how to look at issues of inclusion. Because even though they may change, the ways that you can address them can be a tool set that we want folks to have embedded within their organizations. So right now we're looking, of course, at disability issues around COVID and uh, the pandemic, return to work, and those issues that are coming up with the vaccine. We, of course, you know, have this uh, moment in time which is also COVID-related with Asian American backlash and being targets of harassment and discrimination. We have the president's broad equity-based agenda that he's presented. So there's a rich context of things that are happening in EEO and diversity world that this conference will help highlight some of those things that folks really need to address moving their organizations forward.
1: And I want to delve into the COVID for just a moment because I guess there is evidence that people may have long-term issues that were severely affected by the COVID-19 virus. And so I imagine that's going to come up in the workplace in terms of accommodation, maybe, and disability also. Is that what you're seeing from the EEOC standpoint?
2: Yes. There's so many different outputs because of COVID that, you know, no one's really prepared for a pandemic, even though we had pandemic guidance already in place. But the nuances of it, when can folks return to work? What's effective accommodations to allow some workplace flexibilities that don't compromise the organization's mission and its efforts to do whatever it's in business to do, but also allows the employees to be safe and to, you know, make a meaningful wage. And so there are so many different things that are happening now that impact the COVID on women, which has been shown to be more drastic than on men, like you said. We're still trying to see what are the long term effects of the virus and how does that play out in a person's ability to work. So there's so many moving targets as you started off the program with that. You know, we're trying to keep up, trying to give employers instructions for how they can operate and deal with this ever changing environment.
1: So it wouldn't be too far-fetched to say that as a management person, one should maybe include the EEO person and the HR people, but especially the EEO person, when formulating plans to get people back into the office.
2: Without question, one of the things that we really stress to management teams, leaders of all organizations is to make informed decisions, you need folks who have specialties in in a variety of things. So you have your finance folks, you'll have your infrastructure folks, but you also need the folks that help you manage your workforce because your key resource in any organization is the people. And how you position them and allow them to have maximum success for your organization is imperative. So you definitely need that voice. That's a part of the organization, of decision-making.
1: We're speaking with Dexter Brooks. He's director of federal sector programs in the Office of Federal Operations at the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission. And this issue that you also mentioned, equity, as part of inclusion that many companies, many federal agencies, and as you pointed out, the administration is using. And if you would, for me, from the EEO standpoint, the idea of equity, that word, has replaced equality. And maybe you could explain the difference to people that are EEO practitioners or may come before one.
2: These are, you know, words that do need definition. I think in some of the earlier, the, at least the earliest executive orders that the President President Biden signed had a definition of equity. From our perspective, seeing kind of similar concepts, I think someone would say equality means that if everyone receives the exact same thing and equity would be where you make sure everyone receives what they need to succeed. So everyone doesn't have to receive everything the exact same, so like an accommodation. So if someone needs to use a different software package, you want to make sure that person has that software package versus what everyone else receives, which may not be effective for them. So the concept of equity really tries to look at what individuals need to succeed whatever activity they're involved with. From our space, that's employment.
1: So that gets you past just the numbers game of this percentage of this color or race or that percentage of women and that kind of thing, but to really get them actually totally inculcated along with everybody else.
2: Exactly, exactly.
1: And tell us about the conference coming up then, because this is the 24th year, and this is mainly for federal practitioners or private sector or both?
2: It's for everyone. So if you're in private sector, you're in academia, you're in federal sector, we try to put together a robust agenda that will meet all needs. We have over three days, 36 workshops to touch on all the topics that we've addressed, whether it be looking at equity, diversity, COVID-related issues, harassment prevention. We have novel sessions that we talk about what what's the economics of discrimination? What does it cost us in society where we have exclusion and things of that nature. So the conference is, like you said, is in its 24th year. This is the second year we're virtual because of the pandemic. We're on a virtual platform that allows us some new ways of delivering material. One of the great things that the virtual platform provides us is the ability to record and have those sessions that we traditionally would have in an in-person conference available throughout the conference. So like if you normally go to an in-person conference, you have four choices of workshops and you only can choose one, but you may be interested in others. The way the virtual world works, we can record all of them and you can go to your session live and see the other three recorded later in the day or we allow the participants at least a month access to review recordings after the conference. So it gives them the opportunity to participate even more than they would in a live in-person conference.
1: And of course, last year at this time, everything had to be virtual. Now we're kind of at a gray area where some things are beginning to poke at having people in person and still semi-virtual. Do you see this ever going in person again? Or given the numbers that people have been able to garner online, will you just keep it this way forever?
2: That is still a question to be decided. I think we're weighing the pros and cons of going back in person, which I think we probably will, but also ensuring that we maintain a virtual presence. Because like you said, the numbers that we get and the ability to reach folks that can't afford to travel to a specific location or that their schedules don't allow it, where they can review something on demand. So I think in the future, the virtual component of this conference will continue even if we go back to in-person delivery of the conference.
1: And that conference is taking place in June, and we'll have a link to it. Dexter Brooks is Director of Federal Sector Programs in the Office of Federal Operations at the EEOC. Thanks so much for joining me.
2: Tom, it's always a pleasure. Thanks for sharing the message with our stakeholders.
1: We'll post this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Subscribe to the Federal Drive at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your shows.
3: Welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I'm your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. I'm thrilled today to be joined by Rick Wade, Senior Vice President of Strategic Alliances and Outreach at the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. Previously, Rick was a Senior Advisor and Deputy Chief of Staff to Secretary of Commerce Gary Locke. He worked closely with the Obama administration, and he also worked with Commerce's Economic Development Administration to foster regional economic development in distressed areas and with the Minority Business Development Agency to create jobs through the growth of minority-owned businesses. He received a B.S. from the University of South Carolina and an M.P.A. from Harvard University. Rick, welcome, and thanks so much for joining me.
0: And thank you so much for having me. look forward to the conversation. terribly difficult challenge. One of the other defining uh, moments, I think, in our time uh, that has dictated uh, a change in leadership, if you will, uh, was the murder of George Floyd. I think it created a whole different consciousness uh, in America and certainly within me uh, about the importance of being empathetic uh, in, uh, in, in the way I lead, to be inclusive, uh, to, be, uh, uh, to, to lead in a way uh, in which you're very sensitive to the impact of your decisions.
3: I'm Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Thank you for listening to today's Lessons in Leadership podcast. And until we see you next time, take good care. This episode is brought to you by Zelle. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, it's important to do it safely. Here are a few helpful tips. First, always
2: make sure you know and trust the person you're sending money to. Second, confirm you've entered their contact details correctly. And finally, if you don't trust the person... Or your recipient is rushing you to send money right away, think twice before sending money through an app or online.
0: Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus, and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com/slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.